0: Business Flashback Lessons, 9-12. through 12. Review, Book 5, Business English. Vocabulary, Part 1, Page 94. Vital. Ensure. Inherently. Optimum. Idleness. Replenish. Susceptible. Privation. Dominance. Mitigate. Study Skills, Part 4, Page 95. The Management Style of Leadership, is a leadership method a manager employs in running the affairs of an organization leadership style relates to tasks people and the situation managed according to rosalind cardinal the key to being an effective leader is to have a broad repertoire of styles and to use them appropriately directive management style involves giving the command setting high standards and disciplining staff who do not meet up to the standards it is effective where there is an employee who lacks motivation which requires a superior authority to call the parties to order. In the authoritative management style, the manager only states the goal of the team, and in a clear and persuasive way, then gives the team the opportunity and space to work. It is effective where there is need for detailed instructions, as well as standards. Other styles of management include affiliative, participative, pace-setting, and coaching. Listening, Part 2, Page 96, Script on Page 199, HR jargon makes me crazy. We have to have all these stupid acronyms that describe things that nobody understands. OKRs and PIups. I think we can run our businesses by just talking to each other like regular human beings. We might actually get more done. I really always wanted to be an HR professional. I wanted to be able to speak the language of management. And you know what I've learned after all this time? I don't think any of it matters. There are all kinds of things that we call best practices that aren't best practices at all. How do we know it's best? We don't measure this stuff. In fact, I've learned that best practices usually mean copying what everybody else does. Our world is changing and evolving all the time. Here are some lessons to help you adapt. Lesson 1. Your employees are adults. You know, we've created so many layers and so many processes and so many guidelines to keep those employees in place that we've ended up with systems that treat people like they're children. And they're not. Fully formed adults walk in the door every single day. They have rent payments, they have obligations, they're members of society, and they want to create a difference in the world. So, if we start with the assumption that everybody comes to work to do an amazing job, you'd be surprised what you get. Lesson 2. The job of management isn't to control people, it's to build great teams. When managers build great teams, here's how you know it. They've done amazing stuff. Customers are really happy. Those are the metrics that really matter. Not the metrics of, do you come to work on time? Did you take your vacation? Did you follow the rules? Did you ask for permission? Lesson 3. People want to do work that means something. After they do it, they should be free to move on. Careers are journeys. Nobody's going to want to do the same thing for 60 years. So the idea of keeping people for the sake of keeping them really hurts both of us. Instead, What if we created companies that were great places to be from and everyone who leaves you becomes an ambassador for not only your product, but who you are and how you operate. And when you spread that kind of excitement throughout the world, then we make all of our companies better. Lesson four, everyone in your company should understand the business. Now, based on the assumption that we've got smart adults here, the most important thing we can teach them is how our business works. When I look at companies that are moving fast that are really innovative, and that are doing amazing things with agility and speed. It's because they're collaborative. The best thing that we can do is constantly teach each other what we do, what matters to us, what we measure, and what good looks like so that we can all drive towards achieving the same thing. Lesson 5. Everyone in your company should be able to handle the truth. Do you know why people say giving feedback is so hard? They don't practice. Let's take the annual performance review. What else do you do in your whole life that you're really good at that you only do once a year? Here's what I found. Humans can hear anything if it's true. So let's rethink the word feedback and think about it as telling people the truth, the honest truth, about what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong in the moment when they're doing it. That good thing you just did, woo, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Go do that again. And people will do that again today, three more times. Lesson 6. Your company needs to live out its values. I was talking to a company not long ago, to the CEO. He was having trouble because the company was rocky, and things weren't getting done on time, and he felt like things were sloppy. This also was a man who, I observed, never showed up to any meeting on time, ever. If you're part of a leadership team, the most important thing that you can do to uphold your values is to live them. People can't be what they can't see. We say, yes, we're here for equality and then we proudly pound our chest because we'd achieved 30% representation of women on an executive team. Well, that's not equal. That's 30%. Lesson 7. Every company needs to be excited for change. Beware of the smoke of nostalgia. If you find yourself saying, remember the way it used to be, I want you to shift your thinking to say, think about the way it's going to be. If I had a dream company, I would walk in the door and I would say, everything's changed. All bets are off. We were running as fast as we can to the right, and now we'll take a hard left. And everybody would go, Yes! It's a pretty exciting world out there, and it's changing all the time. The more we embrace it and get excited about it, the more fun we're going to have. Video lesson, page 97. TED Talk, Do You Have What It Takes to Freelance?
1: Over the past decade, many people I know have become freelancers. These are folks who work for themselves full-time, like my friend who does voiceover work, or some business school classmates who left corporate America to start small consulting practices. These are also people who have added a bit of freelancing to their money-making plates, like my friend who does interior design on the side, or my fellow academics who have side gigs providing advisory services in their area of expertise. We all know the obvious benefits of freelancing, But what about the downsides? If you're someone who feels stuck in their nine to five, freelancing may seem glamorous. You get to make your own schedule, you have multiple streams of income, you get to be the boss, but the reality is each person's journey can look very different, even in the same industry or field. So what does it take to be a successful freelancer? And how do you figure out if it's something that's right for you? I'm Madhu Akinola. This is TED Business. Today, you'll hear a talk from TED-Ed, a TED initiative full of ideas and research intended to spark the curiosity of learners everywhere. In this talk, You'll learn about the origins of freelancing, the steps required to become a freelancer, and the benefits and drawbacks of the gig economy. Then after the talk, I'll share a few more things to consider for those pursuing self-employment. But first, a quick break.
2: The year is 1194. Maurice de Bracy, enemy to the English crown, is locked in combat with a mysterious Black Knight. Suddenly, the Black Knight gains the upper hand and whispers his true identity in de Bracy's ear King Richard the Lionheart of England. De Bracy yields. Later, de Bracy offers to let King Richard use his army of free lances, mercenary soldiers who were free to use their lances in service of whoever paid the most. That's how it plays out in Sir Walter Scott's 1819 novel, Ivanhoe. Scott didn't coin the term, but it was probably this use that stuck and evolved to describe someone who works independently of any single company. That independence seems to make people happy. A 2016 survey of freelancers in six countries found that those who freelance by choice 70% of respondents, by the way, were happier than people in traditional jobs, specifically when it came to things like independence and flexibility in terms of where and when they work. In a survey conducted in the US, half of freelancers said there was no amount of money that would convince them to rejoin the traditional workforce. At some point in your life, maybe even now, you might wonder whether freelancing is right for you. You'll need a few things to be successful. First, you'll need a skill that's in demand. This can be as universal as driving a car, to as specialized as neurosurgery. And it can be in pretty much any field. The more people who want your skill, and the fewer people who have it, the more you can charge for your services. Next, you'll need to transform yourself into an entrepreneur. Before freelancers can do any work, they have to find it. That takes marketing your services, negotiating contracts, building a network of satisfied clients, and a whole set of administrative skills like project management, time management, and accounting. And thirdly, if you can afford it, it's probably a good idea to budget for some benefits for yourself and maybe your family. Freelancers don't automatically get perks that some salaried jobs offer, like paid vacation or sick leave, life insurance, college tuition, or retirement plans. In countries like the U.S., where the government doesn't provide healthcare to most people, freelancers are responsible for that, too. Freelancing has been around for a long time, but digital freelancing platforms like Uber, Lyft, and Fiverr are pretty new. They say they'll connect you with clients and take care of some of the entrepreneurial and administrative stuff so you can focus on the work, but there are some hidden costs to consider. First, your life may not be as flexible as you think. For example, if you're a rideshare driver, you get to choose when to work, but not how. The app recommends what route to take, enforces how you act with the threat of low customer ratings, and sets your rate. Those rates may be so low that you end up working more than if you had a salaried full-time job. Speaking of rates, it can be hard to figure out exactly how much money you'll make. Earnings vary based on location, platforms might advertise hourly rates that don't factor in expenses, and large-scale data on actual earnings is sparse. One of the largest data sets we have is from Uber. It contains 740 million trips by 1.8 million drivers between 2015 and 2017. Researchers analyzed these figures in a 2018 paper and found that once you deduct Uber's cut and the cost of business expenses, drivers' average earnings dropped from about $22 an hour to about $12 an hour. And buying benefits would reduce that number even more. And there is a lot of variability in working conditions across different gig platforms. For example, the Company 99 in Brazil operates a rideshare platform that many people use to deliver packages. Drivers are matched with shippers, and 99 takes a cut. The company's terms and conditions hold both the shipper and the driver liable for anything that could go wrong, including things like if a package gets stolen. If you're considering joining the app economy and don't want to read all the fine print, there's a network of researchers who publish ratings of platforms based on five categories of fair employment. Digital gig platforms come with drawbacks and may not provide a reliable living wage. But for many around the world who don't have the luxury of choice and need to make money as soon as possible, like say if you just lost your job, the gig economy is the easiest and fastest place to get hired For this reason, some have called it an alternative safety net. So considering all these factors and many others, should you dip your toes into the gig economy or dive in? Ask yourself, how much do you value flexibility or autonomy? Do you prefer to work within an established structure or to make your own? Are you willing to network to find new clients? Are you organized and self-directed? And perhaps most importantly, how much do you value knowing exactly what you'll earn from week to week?
1: If you're thinking freelancing doesn't sound half bad, here are a few things to consider. And these questions focus less on gig economy freelancing, that's where you're tied to a specific company or app, and instead on traditional self-employment. When you think of freelancing, do you feel excited or terrified? Do you immediately see all the things that could go wrong or the things that could go oh so right? We all have very different risk profiles, so it's important to gain clarity around whether you're more of a risk seeker who is okay with the unknown or risk averse, avoiding the unknown at all costs. Do you enjoy learning and teaching yourself new things? Becoming a freelancer may require that you constantly expand your skill set, which will help you stay competitive. How much experience do you have in your field? And how broad is your social network in that field and outside of it? There's tons of research showing that broad social networks can give you access to information, resources, opportunities, and even support when you need it. How do you typically react when you face rejection? Do you slink away and need time, a lot of time, to process everything, regenerating the energy to get up and at it again? Or does rejection make you say, oh yeah, you don't know what you're missing, giving you more energy to keep pushing? Resilience, being able to bounce back, is a necessary skill for most new adventures, especially freelancing. Look, in my almost 20 years as an academic, I've just formalized my consulting practice, which offers advisory services on leadership, stress, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and many other topics to organizations. I've had to figure out what is my true value add to an organization? What are my rates? Do I need an intellectual property lawyer? What's an LLC? Uh, By the way, it's a limited liability corporation, which basically limits your personal liability and legally separates you from your business. There's so many questions and areas where I've needed to develop some expertise, and there was no way to do this alone. So my biggest piece of advice, if you're thinking of freelancing, find others who are too, because you're going to need an army like King Richard To make what can be a tough journey an amazing one.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. We hope that you enjoyed another lesson of Uncle Sam's American English. These audios are synced with our four book series. Contact one of our professors or join our online course by visiting our Facebook page, Uncle Sam's International.